1913, French author Marcel Proust wrote what would be the first of seven volumes in a novel titled In Search of Lost Time. This mammoth 3,200-page masterpiece has been declared a milestone of literature. Anybody read it? 3,200 pages. It's more in the English. Anyways, um, and Marcel Proust, one of the most influential authors of the 20th century. And yet the most famous passage no longer lives in the literary world because it so beautifully describes a deep human experience, one that we all have. I'd like to read a paragraph out of this 3,200-page book. One day in winter, as I came home, my mother, seeing that I was cold, offered me some tea, a thing I did not ordinarily take. I declined at first, and then for no particular reason changed my mind. So she sent out for one of those short, plump little cakes called petite madeleines, which look as though they had been molded in the fluted scallop of a pilgrim shell. And soon, mechanically, weary after a dull day with the prospect of a depressing morrow, I raised to my lips a spoonful of the tea in which I had soaked a morsel of the cake. No sooner had the warm liquid with the crumbs with it touched my palate, a shudder ran through my whole body and I stopped, intent upon the extraordinary changes that were taking place. An exquisite pleasure had invaded my senses, but individual, detached, with no suggestion of its origin. And at once, the vicissitudes of life had become indifferent to me. The disasters innocuous, its brevity illusory. This new sensation, having had on me the effect which love has of filling me with a precious essence. Or rather, this essence was not in me, it was myself. I love this passage. It goes on, he tries to figure out who, um, what memory sparks this and how can he do it again. I only read like four pages, so I don't know what happens next. But many of us know this sensation, right? We know, we've learned about the connection between scent and taste, because those are like bookends, those are peanut butter and jelly kind of things, and memory. And we also know that memory and emotion are closely tied together. This is because smell is considered the most buried of all senses. It bypasses the thalamus, that part of the brain that relays sensory information to the rest of the body, and works directly with the hippocampus and the amygdala. And these parts of the brain deal with emotional memory. So Prost, in the most elegant fashion, nails the phenomenon that is called nowadays involuntary memory. That is, the way that a sensory experience can take us right back to an otherwise hidden or unthought of memory. Mark Reeder of Premium Scenting put it this way, of all the senses, scent inspires vivid memories and emotions, which is why it's termed the Prostian effect after that famous passage. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
I wonder what those gathered in Lazarus's home that day remembered every time they smelled the particular perfume that Mary used to anoint Jesus. It was a perfume thought to be used at a burial, which of course Mary would have on hand given that she just buried her now living brother. So it is reasonable to imagine that they would have come across this smell again. Would they remember the smell of death overcome by the smell of the perfume? Would they remember Judas's rebuke of Mary's use of such a costly perfume? Would they remember that the poor were theirs to care for? Would they remember Jesus allowing such an unusual thing to actually happen? Or would they remember the love shown in that moment, tender and filled with emotion? That day in Lazarus's house, the house was filled with the fragrance of love. That day, the fragrance of love smelled like expensive perfume, lovingly used to anoint the feet of a teacher. But what does love smell like for you? What scent, as soon as you smell it, what taste, as soon as it hits your tongue, takes you back, fills you up? I asked my friends on Facebook this question this week, and the answers were as varied as the people. It was beautiful and heartwarming and nostalgic. I loved reading their responses. The one thing they had in common is all of those memories tied them to people they knew. The first scent I think of when I think about sensory memory is the scent of eucalyptus. Because I remember smelling eucalyptus when I was younger, growing up in California. And now every time I smell it, I think of home. And I have a particular memory of walking outside a building one summer after I'd come back from seminary, and that place happened to be surrounded by eucalyptus trees. And I stopped and took a deep breath and gave thanks for that moment of deep happiness and hope and a sense of renewal in my life, all triggered by the scent of those trees and the memories it brought me of coming home. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Can you smell it? This story of Jesus being anointed with oil is in all four of the Gospels, one of the only few that they all share. Now, typically, John does different things with this story, but this time, it's Matthew, Mark, and John that have the similarities. And Luke is using it in a whole different way, in a different part of his gospel, which is why we didn't read Luke's version today. For Luke, it's used to illustrate the power of forgiveness. But for the other three gospels, this scene is a foreshadowing of Jesus' death. In the Gospel of John, it comes right before Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem in triumph. John is the only Gospel who names the woman who does the anointing. And it is only in John's Gospel that it is a close friend who does the anointing. And that it is a friend's house that he is in for this dinner. Mary, the sister of Martha, is spoken of only three times in the Bible twice in John and once in Luke. She's often conflated with Mary of Magdala, we know Mary Magdalene, but they are two distinct people. Mary, Martha's sister, was from Bethany, which is outside of Jerusalem. Magdala, where Mary Magdalene is from, is near Nazareth. 
In these two Gospels, then, we get a picture of Mary of Bethany as one who observes the world around her. She listens and takes everything in. One would say she ponders them in her heart like another Mary we know. She's the one who sits at Jesus' feet in the Gospel of Luke, the one who waits before approaching Jesus after her brother dies, and of course is the one who dares to anoint Jesus' feet with perfume and wipe it with her hair. One could say that Mary lived in the moment. She responded to what was in front of her, and here in this moment was Jesus the one who no longer walks about openly among the Jews because there's a plot against him after raising Lazarus, the one who is rejected by the Jews, who is the good shepherd, who has healed and taught and loved. Mary is there in the moment, listening, and in response to all that she has heard, she shows love and comfort to the one who is about to die. And it's in this action that we see the extravagant actions of a faithful disciple. In this moment, love is fully embodied and fills all the bodies of those who are gathered with the beautiful scent of the perfume. In this moment, Mary acts because she has heard what Jesus has been saying and she knows that the end is near. So she kneels and washes the feet of her teacher, wiping the oil with her hair, demonstrating extravagant love, deep discipleship, fully embodied. Her faith here isn't an intellectual exercise, but a full-bodied experience. She brings her whole self to the moment. And Jesus responds with gratitude and tenderness, pleasure and blessing. He sees her and her actions for what they are meant to be. Over-the-top love, spoken with tears and skin, salt and sweat, perfumed feet and unbound hair. Here in this moment, the creature created in the image of God that we know as Mary of Bethany reminds all of us that our whole physical self is God-loved and cherished and should be by us as well. And that we use this full self to serve and love God and neighbor. And just in case we miss the weight of this moment, Mary's actions are held next to the actions and soon-to-be actions of Judas Iscariot. Judas says, why are you wasting this perfume on such an action? We could sell it, give the money to the poor. The narrator, of course, chimes in, right, with a little aside, because the people that he's telling the story to, they know who this Judas is. He's like, y'all know who this is. This is the one who betrayed Jesus. And by the way, he used to steal from the common purse. It isn't so much that Mary didn't care for the poor or that Judas did, It's that Mary is in this moment, ready to respond to what the moment demands. She was, in essence, giving us an example of how we should treat the poor or anyone else. That we, as disciples of Jesus, should do so with extravagance, with a seeing eye that could see the person and the need in that moment with love and compassion. As Deuteronomy 15:11 says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed. Here is Mary, 
open-handed, modeling for us a way to be in the world. Whereas Judas is looking ahead to what is about to come, Mary was where she, we have found her before, at the feet of Jesus. And it won't be long before Jesus opens his arms wide as he is crucified, as he is raised from the dead, as he greets his bereaved disciples. Mary, having heard what Jesus has said, has warned, is opening her arms and embracing the generosity of the Spirit that we know most fully in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is in Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet, in his care for those around him, in his forgiveness of Peter, in the promise of the advocate, that we will understand what Mary already knows. Jesus is an open-handed, arms-wide kind of Savior. Which then begs the question of us, how are we open-handed with the poor, with our neighbors, with ourselves? What does the fragrance of love smell like in your life right now? In what ways are you a love that fills a house, overcoming the stench of death with the reality of resurrection? There are so many in our community, in our church, in our world, who need the sweet fragrance of Jesus' love to permeate their lives. There are so many who seek God's healing. And we know that Jesus is the balm. But friends, they will only know that healing and that love if they see it and hear it in us. We will only know it if we hear it and see it from each other and from God. I've been thinking a lot about this particular Lent and the conversations that I have had in visits and Bible studies, and it's been unlike any, I've other, of any other I have experienced, which is saying a lot given the last two. But I think the confluence of the Gospel of Luke, the war, the pandemic, the political strife, and the civil unrest has created a year where we, God's people, don't need to contemplate our humanity so that we fully appreciate the gift of Easter. Because after these two years, I think we've already done that. Instead, we are seeking comfort and assurance. Comfort and assurance that God's love is ours. And this Lent this Lent, we have found it. This year, during these last five weeks, we have heard over and over again about God's extravagant grace in our lives, which comforts us and then challenges us to grow. And I wish, I really do, I wish I could say that I planned it that way, but I didn't. The lectionary that was created many, many years ago has guided our conversation, and the Holy Spirit has moved in. She has moved in and through us to remind us that our cup, ourselves, each of us, is full to the brim, even when we feel drained dry, because we are a people of love, a love that fills each of us with a precious essence that helps us navigate even the most difficult moments of life. This Lent, I have been reminded and have reminded you again and again to remember to return home to God, the source of love and grace. 
Maybe returning home to God is easy for you, obtained with a simple sip of tea and cake or the smell of eucalyptus. Maybe it's returning to this place where God's grace is seen and known through word and sacrament and community. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's neither. Regardless, love fills our life the way that perfume filled that house that day in Bethany. And so we come here to sit at the feet of Jesus, to sit at the foot of the cross, absorb God's love and grace for us so that we may go out to serve the world. So may the love of God fill your house. May the taste and smell of bread and wine remind you of the love that is always yours. And may that fragrance of love abound in your life as you respond to each moment with the quiet passion of Mary of Bethany. Amen.